You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. As someone who's been gaming for a number of decades, it's odd to think of having had a single game be part of most of my life. Neither Pong nor Leisure Suit Larry exactly had the staying power that WoW has had. As an example, my youngest son is about to turn 19 in a matter of days, and for as long as he can remember, World of Warcraft was around, and he played it with me at various points as well as with other people, various points in his gaming life. It wasn't long after WoW released that a multitude of game developers thought it would be a good idea to tap into that lucrative market, and one after another, they failed in this goal. Some because they didn't innovate, some because they were simply boring, and others because, despite being superior in many regards, they were not World of Warcraft, which is where everyone hung out on a weeknight, raiding till far too early in the morning hours. A lot of companies gave up on that pursuit, while a few tried to become the next big iteration, the next gen of MMOs. And as we saw this week, even those now are failing. EQ Next, the next gen successor to EQ2, which coincidentally released at the same time as WoW, has folded. And if rumors are to be believed, WoWstar, which claimed next gen combat, is not far behind. Even Titan, the next gen WoW, is no more. Now, to be fair, even WoW is not doing nearly as well. People have moved on from MMOs in droves. Instead, we're seeking out other genres which incorporate MMO elements, and it's almost as though the more sparingly those are added, the better chance the success of success the game has. The Division is a recent example of that. Despite our critiques of certain elements of the game, despite its waiting line simulator and other bugs at launch, it has enjoyed a fairly successful release to the point of even gaining traction. And I won't lie, despite being a massive fan of MMOs, no pun intended, I am very alright with this shift that sees us experiencing a lot more variety in our games. Now, this is something that Joe and I were talking about mm-hmm. over AIM immediately after Next was cancelled, and coincidentally, the news for Wildstar came out around that time. Now, Wildstar, of course, announced a fairly large layoff. However, how many are being laid off and the percentage kind of varies depending on which source you read, but it's could be anywhere from 40 and you were saying you'd heard even up to 60 percent of their staff i did i did hear 60 percent of their staff from trusted sources yeah see um, that trusted sources and i'm using air quotes here is also what those same people are saying that the more people have been warned listen there's more layoffs coming and really it Mm -hmm. might not be long before ncsoft completely gives up That's also what I heard. And I heard that because they're not generating revenue like they're expected to. They're not hitting their projections. And that's a sad statement. Like, you know, a lot of times we often forget that at the end of the day, 
these game companies are still companies and they still have goals that they have to make. And for those of you who haven't worked in the nine to five corporate atmosphere at any point in time, when a product launches, oftentimes you have to project and say to people who are investing in it or putting up money up front, this is how much we expect to make in a, you know, with X degree of certainty. And when something fails miserably, your options are to gut it, start reducing staff, which we see, uh, or sell it off, which we've also seen, or cut your losses and run. Because if you're going to have to keep paying for overhead, then then that kind of just that's what happens. You just it's more of a money suck. So why are you going to keep spending that money on a failed project? And it's not like. I guess people take it for granted, too, because you look at EverQuest. EverQuest is still around, the original the original MMO. Uh, EverQuest 2 is still, being, uh, still around. They're still being developed for. World of Warcraft is around. They're still being developed for. But they're also still turning even a modicum of profit. Uh, Lord of the Rings Online, Dungeons & Dragons Online, Neverwinter Nights. Those are all still generating profit, so they keep going. But the projections are also much smaller. Wildstar has just been missing its mark horridly. Well, we can look as well even at SWOTOR. Hell, even at DC Universe Online. Mm -hmm. And the shift to -to free-to-play worked for them. It it wasn't nearly as lucrative as what they had hoped, but at least it's something. And it's enough to keep the doors open. It's enough to keep a staff employed as well. And that's a big one as well because Mm -hmm. it's very easy for people to slam games and people have done that like crazy with Wildstar. Some of it with good reason. Some of it just because the sheep like to follow the flock. And if the flock is making fun of a game, then of course they will as well. But they don't think of the human consequence as well of these people that are not just invested monetarily, but also emotionally in a project that they've heavily heavily invested themselves into and Wildstar is one of those games I've brought it up a lot since before it released and I still love this game not a little I love this game Mm -hmm. and they have made a number of changes which have been positive because it did falter with this entire hardcore mentality which obviously would not have worked, but they pushed and pushed, and it was one of those, well, maybe, hopefully it will, but of course it well, they, didn't. They, they, thought they, were produ- they thought they were providing a product that people were asking for, because let's be honest, that was something that the WoW forums were clamoring about for years prior to Wildstar's release, and who were prim- primary and principal developers of Wildstar, former WoW people. Well, yeah, the, no, and I, I'm not saying that they were necessarily wrong to work on it, it's it's hard because you can look at it on one hand and say, yeah, you get a lot of people who are wanting, quote unquote, hardcore gameplay. However, you don't have to look far to see a lot more people bitching when something is a mechanic is too hard or something mm-hmm. like that. So the- especially for something like an MMO, you need to go after the largest audience. Exactly. You, you can't be profitable in an MMO with the hardcore audience yeah. like that. You need that audience as well. But if you're focusing on 25% of your community, well, that's 75% of your money going away. Yeah, yeah, you, you can, it's just very narrow-minded. So, and again, going back to Wildstar, I'm 
still playing it now. I've gotten back into it now that I have a PC that I can play on. And I'm still enjoying a lot of what the game has to offer. There, There's new patches that are going to be coming out. The next one, Arctera, which has a ton of cool stuff, including a new zone and interesting mechanics for when bosses appear and whatnot. It looks like it's going to be justifiably a lot of fun. But as I'm playing, unfortunately, a lot of the mechanics currently in play right now as well, like, say, in the new, relatively new, the Defile Zone, you need a group to be able to do these open world encounters and different mm-hmm. things. And often I'm the only person on that continent, <laughs> not just yeah. in the town where I am. I haven't seen a soul anywhere. And I can justifiably say anywhere in that zone because one of the things that I've been working on is trying to get all those damn travel posters, which, ha I got them all, you fuck. <laughs> one of them was really hard to get, but I got the motherfucker. But, uh, so I've been literally combing the maps all over the place. And in so doing, you really get an idea for where, you know, if there's people playing and whatnot. And it's kind of depressing how few people are playing that game at varying hours throughout the day. Again, it's one of those wherein they faltered at launch, they faltered somewhat afterwards, and even though they tried to pick themselves up and keep running, it might not be enough. We can look at SWOTOR, which faltered as well, but picked itself up enough that we're seeing phenomenal content from them with their chapters. And again, DC Universe Online, the same kind of thing. But shift that to what I was saying, things like The Division, Destiny, Mm -hmm. go right to Hex, which I still play pretty much every day (laughs) and cannot wait for even more MMO elements to be put into it kind of thing. We can go back to, again, for racing, sticking with Ubisoft again, the crew, despite a lot of its faltering missteps when it started as well, created MMO elements in a racing game. So there's a lot of different games that have for some time, and it's only getting more popular in my opinion, Seeing the success that's possible from innovating a little bit from a specific type of game, RPG shooter kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then entering in some of those LMO, MMO elements, which make it that much more successful. Part of it, it too, and we were talking about this at work with one of my friends, is that it's a generation and time thing too, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we were growing up, or, or I mean, let's just call it even ten years ago for those for you know those of us who were already were grown adults at that time, MMOs were a thing, and we could devote time to it because we had time to devote to it, and that was part of the reason that that WoW had such a, a big success. Now, who has time to devote for ten hours a night for raiding or all the other grinds and stuff like that? And and you can see this with other games too. It's that drop in, drop out. Uh, social aspect of it i wouldn't even call it mmo aspects anymore social aspects of it really is what's kind of making these games float destiny you can play solo and you can pop in and out the division uh i actually picked it up as a result oh, of did social play yeah um and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute here but it's one of those things where i really like the idea that my friends can my friends see me playing they pop on and join me and then if they have to go they have to go and it doesn't 
alter the game really at all for me. Like, I, the, there's no dedicated time commitment. And I think that's really the big thing. And especially with the current generation, and I'm not going to try to be like the old man yelling at kids to get off my lawn, but the attention span of the average gamer has also decreased. We're in the era of vines and bite-sized consumption of media, you know, Twitters and, and, and everything else. that's very, very, you know, small and brief. People don't want to sit down and do like they used to do as often as they used to do. And having that ability to come and go as you please, that appeals to a lot more people, a broader range of people now. And that's why like the division is great for that. And, and you look at it, it's gaming has always been like this. Every, you know, generation, if you will, has its type of game. Like, you know, you know our generation, you and I, Joe, it really was MMOs. We were in mm-hmm. our late teens, early 20s, you know, when you have the time and usually the available resources, you know, if you've got four or five roommates, you know, stuff like that. It's it's where we spent our time. If you look, you know, a few years before that, that's when, you know, Quake 3 Arena or Unreal Tournament, the, you know, the arena shooters were really popular. And now you look now, it's League of Legends, it's Dota, it's your MOBAs. But even now we're seeing a shift back into the shooter realm with like Counter-Strike Go and like we just said here, Division, Destiny. So it's it's very cyclical and you never know, big open world MMO type games, you know, their time might be coming up again in another 10 or so years. See, the thing is, is that we can look at ones that are doing it, one would presume successfully based on the attention that they're getting and reviews and whatnot, say Black Desert Online, which Mm -hmm. I've heard nothing but good things about it in terms of immersion and questing and the look and feel of it and whatnot. And yet, and fishing. I've heard nothing but about about good about their fishing. I see. That's the thing. I was I was talking to somebody who was saying that all that she does is is fishing. Yeah. And I was going, I hate fishing in games. Why would I want to buy a fishing simulator? And I and I justifiably was asking because it was one of those I I would like to know. I haven't played it, so I'm not going to pretend like I know. What is it about it that's making it so that when you have so many other things that you can be doing that are supposedly awesome that you're spending all your time fishing and she was saying because there's too many other things it's the world is way too um too big too immersive there are too many things to do and it feels like you can't devote all of that time that you feel would be necessary to be appropriately involved in each of those elements so just stand around and fish instead and it was like wow that's I, I I completely understand, but then I think from my standpoint, I why why, why would, would I, I want that? to do that? Then I, I've I've had that exact same experience way back in the day when I was playing Final Fantasy XI. Like I reached a point where if I wanted to do anything, it was such a time investment of you know getting people together, you know this and that. So if I was only logging on for an hour, two hours. I would just go mine. And it was after like three weeks where I did nothing in game but mining. I realized, why am I still doing this? And it was no fault on the game itself. Like, you know, the stuff that was going on was interesting. It was fun just for me and for a number of other people, like you said, with the fishing in Black Desert Online. It's it's not a good fit anymore. What's funny is that you bring up Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy fourteen is like the exception to the rule because it's final fantasy because well <laughs> it has that ingrained fan base that 
but it's also because of the quality of the oh, game yes. as oh, well. Absolutely, sure. that it's, it's, yeah. it, it's 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 able to. But the pedigree doesn't hurt. Oh no, no, it, it's it, the world of Warcraft helps. of Eastern MMOs. Yeah, a it, lot of the player base will try out stuff like um, Blade and Soul because you know, it has a similar aesthetic and like that fun Eastern twist on fantasy. But they always go back to the mothership when it's over. I thought I would give Blade and Soul a try. One of those, once again, you couldn't do it, I'm could not you? going to speak ill of something if I haven't even tried it kind of thing. Fine, I'll give it a shot. The moment you start seeing assless female characters and assless chaps, that's when you kind of clock up. I was about to say, assless characters, that's terrifying. Yeah, no, I was going to say, to be, to be fair, my, my dude also had assless chaps. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, no thanks. Not for me. But, uh, but yeah, no, Final Fantasy is that exception to the rule, and it's one of the very few ones. But it faltered at launch as exactly. well. Exactly. They, so they had to put a lot of time, effort, corrected. and money to get it to where it is now. But going back to the idea of be it The Division or Destiny or, again, Hex, The Crew, any number of those, I kind of see that as where devs now should be putting their money. There was that fantastic article on Polygon that I I don't even know if either of you bothered. It was massive on Ubisoft talking about everything going back from Assassin's Creed now to The Division and how they did actually incorporate, they didn't point blank say that, but it is elements from MMOs, Mm -hmm. be it open world or, or different things like that. And it was very cool because again, say what you will about Ubisoft and their games and a lot of, a lot of false starts with them as well with different things. And you got to commend them for trying, try something different, just put it out and then work on it from there. And again, despite our misgivings with the division, obviously it was good enough that Joe, you picked it up. I'm going to assume for uh, Xbox one. I did actually. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so here's an interesting thing. One of my, my, my best friend actually uh, works for Ubisoft, and I had a very long conversation with him before I purchased. I uh, we were his best friends. What's that? Nothing. Okay. My, Go ahead. My physical best friend. I'll, I'll say that. We How's have that? physical bodies, too. But yet we haven't had a drink in person yet. That has nothing. I'm having a drink. You're probably having a drink. In person. Anyway, uh, the person I knew before I met you guys <laughs> actually... <laughs> works at Ubisoft and we had a very long conversation about how they're approaching their game development and how they're, if you notice Ubisoft hasn't laid off a lot of people because all they're doing is swinging from project to project and they're doing it smartly. They're looking at the trends and you can see this with the division. Um, When I first started playing the division, I played the beta. I didn't care for it. I I didn't like it. I thought it was kind of hokey and weird and, and things like that. And then I started talking with him about it. He's like, yeah, we couldn't push everything out for the beta. We just had a stress test and then get everything finalized and pushed out. And then I was like, really? And we talked about it a little bit more. And then I just said, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to try it. A couple of my friends at work had it, sat down, tried it. All of my gripes were actually fixed in the release. And then I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'll actually go and pick it up. And I've been having a lot of fun with it. The mechanics, the the way the game plays, everything feels very organic, and I don't feel like I have to dedicate a whole lot of time to it. Even with Destiny, like it was one of those things where I could log in for an hour, do a couple of missions or whatever, and, and log out. Same thing here, I can do a mission and log out. Like I was literally just doing an instance before I realized that we were recording, and uh, but I was doing. Okay, you so didn't need to tell how, how did how did you reach you that realization, Joe? By my phone blowing up. Thank you. Um, <laughs> 
but it was one of those things where I didn't have to wait for a group. I could actually go do it myself. And it game gave me NPCs to come along with me. And they were kind of dumb NPCs, and I had to make sure that they didn't die. But they were still there laying suppressive fire and helping out. And then somebody joined my game. And then the NPC went away. And it was very, very fluid. And then that person dropped out. And the NPC came back and it was very organic, very fluid. And there was no stop to the play. There was no, oh, we're waiting in queue again for eight fucking hours for a healer or the tank disconnected. So we have to sit here and wait. There was nothing like that. It was very just flow and go. And I really, really enjoy that. I think that's if more games can have that fluidity of going between those two, that's where the sweet spot is. And I think that's where they're going to benefit from the most. See, that's very much a Destiny thing as well. I mean, Destiny did that very well. The only problem with Destiny was when you were doing strikes or whatever and someone would leave or whatever and then you'd be screwed. They kind of tried to work around that, but it was in a perfect solution kind of thing. Now, I, I say that not having actually played through the Taken King, so who knows how much things have improved. But I'm I'm guessing we're going to see some of those improvements in Destiny 2 kind of thing, which has me excited for that title, because if I enjoyed the first one as much as I did, it stands to reason the second one's going to be spectacular. If they just fix grouping, I'm sold. Like, my problem was I wasn't able to do any of the raids in The Taken King, and that was a big thing, because those were fun. When I was watching people play them, I never got to experience it because I had to go outside of the game to find people to go do it with. Yeah, yeah, again, something that's that's wrong. The Division doesn't actually have any of that, though, does it? No, it has matchmaking in-game. What's that? It has matchmaking in-game. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I know that. Everything. But there are end-game contents. There there is, quote-unquote, end-game content. Uh, It's mostly Dark Zone stuff, but there are, like, missions that act like instances. Um, There is going to be more endgame added later but as it is right now there's a lot to do between side missions and everything else that pop up so it's not like people are running out of content so to speak and it's not like they need to have like a big massive raid scenario the way that they do the missions and the instances and stuff like that is just very it just works it works really well with what they have set up right now see my one concern not the least which being actually the money sorry my second concern with that game is the the fact that t- towards Endgame, you are being funneled into the PvP Dark Zone stuff. And that's what I personally would like yeah. to kind of avoid. So that being Endgame kind of actually is holding me back from it. Yeah, but it, it hasn't been one of those things where I thought I thought the same thing, but it doesn't feel like PvP. It, I, it's hard to explain. It's one of those things where... Be, even though you're playing against other players, it just feels like another instance. Like it's really well done, and I don't say that lightly. Okay, all right. Let's move away from there because we got some massive news about Hearthstone as well, and <laughs> we talked about this before a little bit because they are implementing their different. What are they calling it? They're calling it standard and standard and legacy, I think, or something like that. No, or standard, like, standard and classic or standard and vanilla. I forgot what the hell they're calling. That. Yeah. Wherein a lot of your cards are going to be useless, whatever. But now they announced the next expansion. And of course, people are going to be getting free cards, which to me is like a white flag. Don't hate <laughs> us for taking away a whole bunch of cards. Here's three packs. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm like, 
That's not enough, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> that you know last what? bit I is def- important. <laughs> I defended their I defended their choice to do the standard. I'll defend it now too. It's the only way Bullshit. you keep a power creep like that going in this type of game. Nah, I disagree. Anyways, I'll let you take over because there's a crap load of news about the new expansion. Oh god. Okay, so if you haven't noticed because uh, it's being inundated in your face everywhere. The new expansion is going to be called Whispers of the Old Gods, which actually has a really cool little release teaser trailer cinematic style thing, which I thought was kind of well done and, and very interesting. And yeah, we're finally getting the Old Gods from WoW into Hearthstone, which is something that people have been asking for, actually. Now, the cool thing here is not only are we going to have, obviously, new cards, there's all sorts of weird new mechanics that are being introduced. So, yes, there is the old god Cthune, which, if you ever played WoW, is the giant eyeball monster that lived underneath AQ-40. But there's also cool stuff where you summon things, and things give it a permanent bonus before it ever hits play. So, Where, where have I seen that before? I know. Where have you seen it before, Vince? Hex! It's prophecies! Yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. This is not it, new. <laughs> I know it's not new. And it was done Hearth- better in Hex! It's new to Hearthstone. Fuck you, Hearthstone. Hex is better. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm also not surprised to see them borrow that mechanic from Hex. I'm really not. Lord knows Hex borrowed from (laughs) Magic the Gathering. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's the nature of card games in digital or physical form. Somebody's going to borrow from somebody else. But if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, uh, to give you an example, Beckoner of Evil is a... Two, three creature that you summon for two mana that gives Cthune plus two, plus two wherever it is and there's tons of stuff that do that that either give it a buff when it dies or give it a buff when it comes into play and then you drop an old god and then what was a 10 drop for a 6-6 becomes a 10 drop for like a 30-30 and then you can go swing in and here's here's the interesting thing though like i i haven't played much hearthstone so i don't even know if this is a way it could work it doesn't specify it has to be a friendly cthune yes they talked about that they so, talk about that. But it, so but it's it, entirely possible you could be buffing. You could have two Cthulhu decks that are just racing to see well, who can get the god first. No, because they did modify some of the wording on the cards. Okay. So where it says specifically, give your Cthulhu. Yeah, all right. So there's that. Now, not only are the old gods coming, the old gods are, are this sort of big, nasty evil. Big, nasty evil usually begets other changes. And what are we getting here? Well, corruption is going to seep through with some of the other cards which means there's going to be twisted new versions of a whole bunch of old cards that people either a haven't been using because they're, you know, not very good uh, or just forgot about, or there's better things in play like the corrupted hoarder, which really is hilarious. He's got the little box with all these weird tentacles and he's got the huge mustache and the horns and does all sorts of cool stuff. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they went back and, and looked at some of the cards that people either weren't playing or weren't seeing a lot of time. And we're like, how can we make this better? Let's just update it. Let's make it corrupted. Let's add tentacles. I thought that was kind of cool. I would have liked it if they would. You didn't get it. Would... Get it yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's episode title right there. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> uh, what I would have liked to have seen is a manner in which they could have incorporated that into your existing cards, Mm -hmm. giving you the choice 
So the first time you look at that card or even any time thereafter where it gives you a choice of do you want to keep the card the same for the legacy content or would you like a old gods version of the same card to put in this deck or even if you're putting it into an old gods deck one of the new ones it would automatically shift it to that format instead of again i know it's a business but still they could get around it instead of that gouging you for more money for more cards that are the same cards except now with tentacles so a digital way of doing it would have used the digital part of D- digital TCGs so well and been an organic but fit. But you're still going to be able to craft those cards too with dust, which is a big part of how people play this game right now. Yeah, but again, you're not getting what I mean. I, I, I understand what you mean, but you're just looking at a, a workaround to what could have instead been the de facto no, no, state not, not- that would have made a lot more sense and been cool without feeling like you're being ripped off for all of those cards that you justifiably bought that you can't use. Yes, I am still bitter about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was just going to say, like, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not disagreeing with that point. It's just from their standpoint, one, they want to make money, yes. And two, it's they have systems in the game to help people who either, A, want to keep playing in those versions and not use the old cards or spend money, uh, you know, like they're even improving how recipes work. Like the last patch that dropped with the the Lady Leandrin patch 4.2, uh, which I was going to cover as well because that's a, a big one as well. I mean, you're getting more deck slots, deck slots. They're giving you nine of them. Uh, there's deck recipes that help you with deck building to go along with the card recipe builders. And they're also giving more filters so that you can better organize your cards as well as you know, when to break them down, how to create them and things like that. And it sounds really goofy, but that actually has added a lot of playability for me. And I hate dusting cards and crafting crap in Hearthstone. I don't like it. Now I'm starting to actually enjoy it because it's a lot easier and makes a little more sense because I can just click a button and it's all good. You know what? I'm going to just argue this one point. This idea of, ooh, we get two more deck slots is... Nine. So not a big fucking deal uh, because, again, I'm going to go right back to Hex. Do you have any clue how many decks I have? Sure. As many as I want. Now, you could say, yeah, well, they don't have as many users. That's not an excuse. So this limiting to that many decks has always been something in Hearthstone that actually kind of ticks me off and is a major con. So adding a few to me is not a... It's it's a band-aid on a gushing wound. You're entitled to your opinion on that one. So poo-poo on you for that. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> then they had that other added bonus, and this was actually kind of a cool thing. They We talked about it before where they added heroes in the Hearthstone, where there were alternate versions of whatever class, and they had unique voice work, unique spell effects, and visual effects that you were able to see. Here, Lady Landrin is the Blood Elf Paladin, who is one of the my opinion, cooler characters from World of Warcraft. She's an alternate hero for paladins. You don't have to spend money on her. You just simply have to level a character to level 20 in WoW, and you get it as a free unlock. And you know you want to play WoW, people. (laughs) But, I mean, to be fair, (laughs) and and this is we were talking about this before the show, 
you don't have to pay for one to 20 in wow it's free and you still get the unlock you can download play it and never do it again if you don't want to they did the same thing with the hearth steed there was a, a, a trying to get you to play hearthstone they gave you a mount in wow as a result of doing x i forgot what it was i uh, might have just been playing three games i think it was yeah i think it was playing three games of hearthstone or winning three games and then you got a mountain wow and they're trying cross pollinization and they're trying to get people to play their other games. I get that. That's good for business. And but this one, as far as things go, require no monetary investment from the players, which I think I'm OK with. Vince. Sure. <laughs> Although I, <laughs> you really I have to care. say, like, I think they missed a big opportunity in and I know that they can't alter the mechanics too much, but. I think just making the old gods a card that you play is is a little weak. Like the yeah, old gods should have more of an effect on the game than just being a scary 10 drop. They should be different heroes or you know something like field effect deck, you know, something that actually affects the players like like an old god would something that, you know, has, you know, corruption effects. That's where Roger, like your idea of having two different versions of the same card without it needing to be a separate card. You know, once the corruption counter reaches three ticks, oh, now you have the corrupted version of this card in your deck. There's so much more cool stuff they could have done with the old gods. And it's just disappointing because now they're, I mean, I understand we also have, you know, Anixia and Deathwing and what have you. They're just big, scary cards. It's the way Hearthstone is, but Man, they could have. It could have been so much cooler. I just looked at it and went, "That's such a missed opportunity." Well, we don't have to look any further than one of the warlock cards that can change you into oh, what is it, Joe? One of the warlock cards can change you into one of the demons. Yeah, you get demon form, yeah. just like just like the priest has the one that puts you into shadow form. No, no, there's another. Yeah, there's the, the Lord Jaxus or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah but whatever. And. I always like that that car because regardless of if it's going to work or not, it's fun. It's something different. It changes you into something different. And you're absolutely right with the old gods. They could have done that because they were saying as well that whereas Cthulhu has these special abilities that they're making such a big fucking deal about, which I'm sorry, but I'm not as impressed. Part of that is because I can see the potential of prophecies in Hex done well. As opposed to this, which is really a shadow of that. So I'm really not that impressed. And then the other old gods cards, they're just saying they're standard 10 cards. It's they're really they're powerful cards, but they're standard cards. And it's like, wow. Yeah. How can you so, build all these mechanics around one, one of the, of old, the gods, old gods? And the other ones are just like, yeah, they're there. Yeah. So to me, that's like, yeah, like that you're saying a, a huge missed opportunity. Huge. Well, especially especially the timing on it too, right? Like they just released Chronicle, which is an amazing book, by the way. Uh, it's just one of those things where you have this thing where you spend so much time talking about the importance of the old gods in some recent publications, and then you do that, and that's I will agree that is a a huge misstep on their part. Yeah, they could have done so much more. Okay, let's move away from Hearthstone. Vince, what did you think about that Hellblade link that I sent you? At first I looked at it and I went, I was a little mediocre on it because, you know, it's from Ninja Theory, who made the great game Enslaved, the underrated game DMC, and then you know, we don't talk about Heavenly Sword. So when it, when I first looked at this, it I was like, oh man, they made a PS4 you know, version of Heavenly Sword is how I first looked at this with Hellblade Senwa's Sacrifice. But then I actually watched the trailer and 
no, no, no. They're doing some <laughs> really, really different things with this game. Uh, yeah, your main character is Senwa, a Celtic warrior, uh, female Celtic warrior, who we get in this trailer, her village was destroyed, you know, what have you, and she has to travel deeper into the Viking homelands. All the while, she's haunted by voices of the dead. Like, they're, they're very purposefully not giving you too many specifics of exactly what it is, but there is something either spiritually or mentally wrong with this character, and that is really playing into what they're doing with the game. They say they want Senwa to be the most believable protagonist you will play in a video game, and they're using two really cool bits of technology to Damn accomplish right. that. Yes. First of all, the whispers in Senwa's head, those are being recorded using binaural audio. So if you're playing this game with headphones, it's going to be trippy as fuck. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what that experience is going to be like. I oh, think you, know what I, awesome. you know what I'd love to hear them do, though, if it's like more than that, if it would react to like the, the 3D surround sound headsets. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, but, but the whole thing with uh, binaural is that it the the microphone is shaped like the human ear, so it's per, it, it's able to perfectly replicate certain sounds. I don't know if you could quite get that same feeling with the 3D surround. Uh, either way, they do it. I think it's going to be awesome. Because yes. oh, absolutely. Like that's one of the things that I was talking to to Joe about this, especially when I was playing Layers of Fear, how important the sound is and how well done the sound is as well too. So then when I was reading about this and listening to it and I was thinking, wow, I can only imagine because I have uh, the PS4 headphones and whatnot playing this with the PS4 headphones. I'm absolutely buying one of those nice PS4 gold headsets for this game. Yeah. It would sound spectacular. That I really, really freaking cool. And then the second piece of technology that they're touting. And I was watching this trailer and I was like, man, this looks really, really good. good. <laughs> yeah. Like very almost photorealistic at points. I was like, damn. I was like, I wonder if this is in engine or if it's you know pre-rendered. And then I read the article and they're like, oh no, this isn't just in engine. This is real time based off the actress's motion capture performance. At I, I can't even <laughs> tell you how ridiculous that is to me. Again, this is where we're seeing developers taking chances and not just reiterating on what's already been done kind of thing. When I was reading both of those things between the sound and how spectacular it looks, this is going to be amazing. And you know what else? It's going to be amazing in VR. <laughs> Even if it can't be played in VR, they've got the desktop companion thing. theater mode. I can play it in cinematic mode and you better believe I fucking will. <laughs> So, yeah, like it's it's really cool. And I'm like, OK, like because Ninja Theory, they've always been a very creative studio uh, since Heavenly Sword. <laughs> and it's cool to see what they're doing. You know, they've had a lot of backing from Sony in the past. And uh, but then I'm reading on they're making this game with a team of 16 people. This is their first independently developed and self-published game with this level of cutting edge technology. I, this this is one of the now the most games games I'm most excited for coming up because everything behind it, everything it could represent and what they're doing it with is astonishing to me. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Joe, you found some news on Cyberpunk 2077 that you were excited about as well. Yeah. It, in This is one that I, I'm 
we've talked about a little bit in the past, but CD Projekt Red, the same minds behind The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, uh, started talking about Cyberpunk 2077. And it looks like the game is going to be a little bit delayed, but that's okay. And the reason is this game, they're aiming for it to be bigger and more immersive than even The Witcher 3 and all of its DLC combined. I don't know if you realize how large that is. I'll tell you how large. Too large. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm kind of, I mean, I'm kind of okay with it because one of the things that I like about CD Projekt Red is even though those worlds are so large, Mm -hmm. you have the ability to choose how you navigate through it and you can do as much or as little as you want. It's not like Skyrim where... I feel like even after you completed the main story, you had to keep going. Like there was still more you quote unquote. Yeah, you had, you had, had to keep to going to get to the good parts of the story. Right <laughs> here. They put so many good parts in there that you don't have to worry about it. And no matter what path you choose to do, it's going to be fantastic. And I just, I, I do worry that sometimes things will be too big, but hell CD project red is one that I think can actually pull it off. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that cinematic trailer happened to just be gorgeous. I don't know if you have to you got a chance to read that. Yeah. 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 So that'd be awesome. I found that link to the long journey home and immediately was an aber- Not just because they were comparing it to Firefly and shit. <laughs> Although that's enough to get me to click a link. You have a Google alert set up for Firefly, <laughs> yeah, don't you? It's, it's, like, it's got elements of Firefly. Click. <laughs> I'm I'm all right with being disappointed when you find out that no, they're just blowing smoke up your ass, but I have to find out. But this actually looked fairly cool. Actually, I I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing where this is going. Yeah, it looks interesting. Unfortunately, I think it's launching at a terrible time. <laughs> it's going to be out around the same time as No Man's Sky, which, yeah. while very different games, also have a very similar premise. Uh, what you have here in The Long Journey Home, it's when Earth is first exploring uh, God, interstellar travel, and you know, one of their first missions, something goes awry, and they're stuck at the ass end of the galaxy and have to try and get their way home. So it's a very... I want to say trimmed down experience. It, it definitely has a very simplistic uh, interface and graphical settings. It's it's not No Man's Sky. Let's, let's put that there. But it's going to be cool to see what they do with that more limited interface and, and that stuff because it's going to be completely randomly generated. So it's, it's going to have a bit of that roguelike feeling of, well, you're not always going to be able to find your way home, but you're going to want to keep playing and keep trying because it's going to be a different experience every time. So it's it's going to be cool to see how they make it work because there's a couple different uh, what we saw bits here uh, of navigating around the solar system. Like I, I thought it was pretty cool, you know, having to slingshot around moons and get your trajectories and stuff, as well as. 2D live flight bits where you're flying through asteroid fields or avoiding you know, hostile aliens, <laughs> playing lunar lander on the surface of planets you discover. And they also showed off a little bit of the uh, the other alien species you can meet and potentially ally with. So it's definitely going to be a pretty cool experience, but timing is not on their side. I'm still willing to play this regardless just because – it ticks off a lot of things for me in terms of that type of game mm-hmm. that I like. And and yes, they say Firefly, although I really saw no Firefly. What I saw yeah. was um, Voyager, the, mm-hmm. the, the Star Trek series of being sent out and stuck 
and trying to make their way back while still exploring and needing to survive. So needing to explore planets to get certain materials that they need and, and things like that. And every other thing that they talked about, be it like you were talking about that slingshotting around things and, and, and moons and whatnot and exploring and, and there's a lot more story elements as well, dealing with various aliens and things like that, that we will not find in No Man's Sky. We'll, we'll have some experiences, but they, yeah, they don't they're gonna feel be they're very different. Yeah, games. they're not going to be like this. And this very much is a roguelike thing where like a gone home. It's it's not supposed to last forever. Whereas No Man's Sky, it's just shooting you off in the space and just go at her. And you might not see another living soul or, or quote unquote finish the game for fucking decades. <laughs> you know, who knows how long it'll take you to make it to the center of the universe. Whereas this is, you have a very clear goal, get mm-hmm. back home and see what you can do to what paths, who you can, whether it's ally yourself with or ally yourself with or, or, or deal with or whatever kind of thing. A lot of different things that are freaking cool as shit. Like, I really was impressed. And Joe doesn't care. No, I've Just already got enough stuff. I've got enough stuff that are going to consume my time. This is This is on my radar, but it's one of those things where it's like, do I have the time? That's yeah. the question. Now, this week, literally right now, is GDC 2016. And GDC is interesting because you obviously you have a lot more of the game developers. So you have some very interesting interviews and things like that and presentations and and pressers. But this year has very much been about one thing, which mm-hmm. makes me happy <laughs> because it's VR, <laughs> which just goes to prove that I'm right and you guys are wrong. VR is fucking awesome. <laughs> when have we ever denied that? You have. You have. No. Go I back. Go back. Check the tapes. It's there. Anyways, before we actually get into VR news, though, one of the interesting things and depressing things that I found was the survey that they did of, like, well over 2,000 people about what platform they're developing for. And your PC is at the top with 52%. Xbox One is at 23%. PS4 is at 27 So they're both fairly strong. Wii U is at 5%. Mm-hmm. And the 3DS is actually only at 2%. That's shocking to me. It, it, it really is. Although a lot of the 3DS titles are are from Nintendo, not from third mm. third party developers. But yeah, if there was any more news that you needed in regards to Wii U and well, well, let's be honest. Aside from the launch window, that's not that much different than the support the Wii U's gotten for the last several years. Yeah, the the Wii U is it 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 bothers me because I have one. And what's funny is that I look at it periodically and there are justifiably some games on it that are awesome. There are some games that are going to be coming out that are awesome that I'm looking forward to it, but they're few and far between. And it's like, I look at it and then I look at my Wii that is coincidentally still hooked up to a TV in another room. And it's like, it's the same. I didn't learn my lesson. It's the same <laughs> goddamn thing. Neither one of them is getting enough third-party support. So I found it interesting, a little depressing, but interesting nonetheless. I was actually 
kind of jazz that we can look at the PC development as being as high as it is. Because again, they certainly like to throw the doom and gloom of PC days being done. And yet it's still the highest among them by a significant factor. So in terms of VR news, wow, <laughs> we got some awesome fucking news. Okay. First of all, most importantly, the PlayStation VR October 399 bucks. Now with our currency with conversion, what's that? With an asterisk. Yeah. You also need the camera, which I ordered. Even still, it doesn't come close to the other price points. Not even close. So I was, I, I can't remember if I was telling you or Joe, but yeah, I ordered. I'm the, on that link to you and you were like, sold. Oh yeah. No, I had already seen it. Yeah. The, um, the, the camera and the move aren't included. Although they didn't say whether there's going to be later on packages which include it all. So you are looking at more than just a three ninety nine because you will need at minimum the camera, which is like sixty bucks. So I ordered mine. I ordered a couple of move controllers. If you are planning on ordering this, seriously, buy those things now. Because I was talking to yes. Vince, you were talking how it's selling out everywhere right now. Well, it, well, not only Germany. that, it's there's a lot of places that just don't sell them anymore. That's the so, thing. So the supply is going to be limited going forward, and we don't know when you know Sony's going to start cranking out new batches of this stuff. So yeah, there, well, I looked on Amazon. Of course, it was .ca. There was two of the Move controllers, and I mean they're listed as PS3 devices controllers. Well, yeah, so, it's the same uh, thing. So I, I know, but it was like I'll take those. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> there was two left, and I bought the motherfuckers. So I'm, speaking I'm of which, Raj, uh, F5. What? Yeah. Oh, is it ready? No, no, don't <laughs> no, tell. No, I'm don't you? <laughs> I haven't for a little bit there. I'm still, I'm still waiting to pre-order the VR because I will be ordering this ship. So the um, the that was the big news. They also talked about the the actual hardware specs, which were pretty much on par with what they've been saying beforehand. The the final device, I had read actually quite a bit about it in terms of the development of it and how it fits on your head comfortably and different things like that and the tethering. So there was not much that was new in terms of those aspects, but we got a lot more news in terms of a lot of the games that are going to be included, just how many games are going to be coming out either at released or uh, until year end. We're looking at like a hundred wow, games. Just that one that's coming bundled with it looks pretty astonishing. Yeah. The world one you're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's got a crap load of shit in it. Um, Jesus, the star Wars VR cinematic one. Oh, <laughs> that looks awesome. That's ILM Labs is working on that one. And wow, does that ever look incredible. But I mean, you've got stuff like, and now some of these games are also being developed both for the Oculus as well as for the Vive. And I'm not putting those down at all. If I had the money, I'd be buying all three of them. If I had the money, the Vive would be at the top of my list. Without a doubt to me, that is the gold standard right now. But I am happy with what I'm seeing with the, the PlayStation VR anyways. But some of these games that we're, we're seeing, like not just the Star Wars, there's, um, did you guys see that? You must have seen the Eagle Flight one from Ubisoft. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was like a demo that they showed very early on for the Oculus. Turns out it's also going to be available for the other two. But 
from what we had seen initially from the demo modes, it was very much just a you're flying around as an eagle kind of thing in, in over Paris and different things. And it looked justifiably really fucking cool. But we found out that, oh, that was just the demo. They've been working on this. There's a lot more to it. There's like a goddamn three versus three capture the flag type of yep. gameplay with dropping meat off at your nest for the chicks. <laughs> and I'm going like, that is the coolest 3v3 ever. Come on. That's bloody awesome. And you're like using your your screeches, which you target with your head movement to the other birds to drop them and shit like that. It was fucking insane. And that's the kind of innovation that we're going to be seeing with this. Because one of the things that they've said, and this was something that they said during those roundtables that I linked last week as well, which I thought were super cool. And, and they've said again here where, and, and even like Sony and and Valve are talking to their, their devs, telling them and the people, the third party devs as well, saying like, Yes, you can create AAA kind of experiences that are long and engaging, but it's still very early and it's all right with just having a short experience where you're testing certain mechanics out and you're charging less. But again, it's a short kind of game. So we're going to be getting a lot of different experiences where the developers are refining how they are going to be coding for for VR going forward with different game mechanics and things like that. And to me, that's awesome because it allows you to dip your, your feet in the water and not spend a fortune and have these really cool experiences that they're not long, but they're not going to be expensive, but they're fucking cool as shit. Did you see the, uh, the other news regarding VR uh, in regards to like the unreal engine and stuff like that? Dude. Dude. So, <laughs> Yeah, so that oh, that that's a that's a game. <laughs> it's that, more than a game, though. That, that's, that's what I mean. That it, that's not the it's a Unreal a Engine. That's a game. That's <laughs> that's Minecraft for cool people. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. If, if you miss the news, what we're talking about is that Unreal Engine is actually going to allow you to create virtual reality games while in virtual reality. So you're actually going to be able to like move stuff around and set it as you want it while you're looking through the eyes of well god essentially that is freaking cool that right there i can't wait to see what people come up with what i liked about that and let's, and it's let's one be of those... honest joe porn <laughs> shut up uh, <laughs> really because pornhub already invested in vr that's 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 oh yeah it's... that's old news anyways the um, the thing that I liked about that was that the movers. Um, it's one of those wherein they talked about for the development cycle. It's kind of a pain in the ass because the devs have to do all of the coding, setting everything up, put the headset on, go in, see if it works, take the headset off, go back to their desk, do the coding and whatnot. Whereas this just allows them to do it all on the fly, and the fact that you can pretty much make a game all while wearing a headset is ridiculous. Like that's crazy. And when you see them using very intuitive controls that we are now used to, thanks to the iPad with the pinch and zoom and things like that, like 
when I don't know if you watched the same video I did. That was the video that they they stream Unreal actually streamed of them. Yeah, where they they show like the virtual iPad and all that shit. Yeah, where like yeah, it's yeah. in there and there's like Minority Report type menus and whatnot. But being able to something as simple as again pinch and zoom, not just like yourself to make yourself bigger or small. No, the world that you created, you can make it so that you're like a giant stomping about kind of thing so that you can easily have an eagle's eye view of where everything is, how it's going to progress for the player who's normal size and different things like that and make sure that everything looks awesome and then make it super easy to, again, pinch and zoom and move to different areas to see what it looks like at regular size as opposed to just kind of while you're working around and it has all of the functions for snapping to different other assets and zooming and stretching and everything it was great it made me it was brilliant think, let's call oh, yeah. it what it is it's brilliant i was looking at that going like well i literally was talking to my wife um during supper today and our our youngest is at school right now but i was saying you know what there may yet come a day in the next few years where he and i go back to working on games just because the tools will be such that we can use them effectively and have fun with it without having to spend months or years studying specific software to be able to use it. It was amazing. And it wasn't just theirs either. The, the cry engine is being tweaked as well for VR. Like everybody's engines are being tweaked for VR and it's only a matter of time. Same as what they said with unreal, where all of them will be doing the same thing, wherein they allow you to do the editing while you are in game. And so we're going to be having these great small experiences from a ton of developers. Yeah, there'll be a lot of bad, but there's also going to be some amazing gems in there as well. Well, I want to stress, too, that the accessibility that this offers for people that maybe always wanted to create a game but couldn't really wrap their head around, like, C-sharp programming or or things like that, when you get an engine like this, like the CryEngine, Unreal, and they, they start letting you edit VR in VR with, like, pre-done assets, which is something that CryEngine already does in a 2D environment, that's absolutely insane, and that opens up a ton of possibilities for somebody who maybe has an idea that they want to just kind of push out there, but they don't know how to do the math. They don't know the language to program in specifically here. They can just go, I'm just going to throw on my headset and move stuff around and I'm going to make my vision come to life. That's a huge barrier breaking right there. And I'm not saying this because I'm like a huge fan of VR. I think it's awesome, but that alone is really cool because I have problems with certain programming languages that speaks to me. And I know that a couple of my friends at work who wanted, you know, they have these ideas for games, but they don't know how to do their programming. That right there is cool. The way that I look at it as well is that. See, I ever since this kind of got announced, the, the VR stuff and whatnot, of course, my brain works like that where I have tons of ideas and whatnot. But I've had one. And it's not so much a game per se as it's finally a, your dating game, an app. Yeah, it's not pigeons, it's hamsters. <laughs> this is what you and I were talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, it's something else. I never told either of you guys about this, but I have this idea that would I believe I a I haven't seen anybody else do it and and or even talk about it and b I think it kind of would be really awesome. And but I 
I don't have the experience to, to do it by any stretch of the imagination and and also the time wise. But then something like this comes out and I start to reevaluate that because I look at it in terms of, again, the, the, the perfect example is a Minecraft game where you can go in and spend as much time as you want towards whatever it is that you're building and not feel like you're wasting time, even if all you've done is perfect a wall. But it's part of the whole, and that's, you're having fun. Well, if this is the same kind of thing, where in in the evenings, you don't feel like you're working. You feel like you're popping into VR, the spectacular hologram world, where you can just kind of go in and just play God with making this world. And then at the end of the night, Hey, you had fun anyway, and it still helped progress a project that you were working on. Project takes a couple of years to finish. Who cares? You're not on a deadline. You're having fun. So when I saw this, it got the wheels turning and it was like, there is a possibility this may actually happen. And that is fucking cool as hell. Unbelievable. And then we got some, hardware news as well with there was uh which was only a matter of time they're working on gloves as well there's the manis vr gloves which i'm hoping that we're going to see more of that i would assume we will i'm thinking it's only a matter of time before we get like the mad cats kind of gloves so we're gonna be seeing the, those i'm sure and and i'm really looking forward to that level of dexterity and control that we just can't get with the wands. And I'm thinking whether that's second generation or third generation, I think it's only a matter of time, but I'm really looking forward to that. And then the other big one was AMD tossed their hat into the ring, literally, with the, the Sulon Q. But this is an all-in-one AR VR headset that has basically, it's the computer, it's the, the, the graphics chip, it's everything built right in wireless so you don't have to worry about dragging a cable along with you and all done by md so this is is cool because they're putting a lot of research and development into vr as it is a lot of their chips right now be it cpu or gpus are specifically being tooled for vr and so seeing them now push towards this actual ar vr Headset it was kind of cool. I thought that was interesting. Neither yeah. of you <laughs> bastards. It it's not that I don't care. Yeah, we just okay. have nothing yeah. more to add to the brief. <laughs> You're not excited enough, is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is awesome. Okay, did either of you hear any other G uh, GDC news that you want to talk about before we cut out? Uh, I've seen some cool stuff, but uh, not, I haven't read enough on it to uh, talk about it yet. Yeah, there's been a bunch of like things that have popped up and kind of piqued my interest. But like the Assassin's Creed VR experience might actually be a yeah. lot of fun. Oh, I thought yeah. that was kind of a cool little tidbit. But nothing I have to do. I have to do some more research before I can really talk about some of this stuff. Well, we're going to be talking a little bit more about it next week, because as I said, it is literally going on right now. Oh, so yeah. 
that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you for joining us. You can find the show notes at For the Lore. You can find us on Mondays, sometimes, <laughs> at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We are on Twitter at For the Lore individually. Joe at Loaders at J, Vince at Simonian, and myself at Zen Buddhist. And you can find us on iTunes and Stitters. Please leave us your comments and thoughts. And we are going to have a feature at the end of this. Not quite sure which one. It's either going to be Joe doing Far Cry Primal or myself doing Layers of Fear. You'll get one this week, the other one next week. Oh, yeah. I will say I did finish Layers of Fear. And as I was telling Vince, while I won't say it was the game of the year for me already, obviously, and especially with a small title, it's hard to say that. I will say that in many regards, many different aspects of it were of the year for me, most notably being the score as well as just the sound editing. The game as a whole was spectacular. Spectacular. That's not a spoiler because you heard me gushing about it last week. But it stuck the ending and I was super impressed. And you'll want to listen to that feature. So with that, thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Last week I talked about Layers of Fear. At that point I'd finished about half of the game and made no secret of my love of it. Since then, I have finished it and wanted to give my thoughts on the experience as a whole and whether or not it stuck the landing. Spoiler warning, it did, and I loved it. Seriously though, I'm about to spoil some pivotal elements of the game, so if you are considering picking up this title, which I highly recommend, obviously, well, stop listening and come back to this episode once you've finished the game. As I mentioned last week, Layers of Fear is a brilliantly constructed game that relies on your sense of curiosity and adventure. It helps if you also have a backbone, though if not, I've discovered that's what the escape key is for. See, throughout most rooms are clues, often in the form of notes, letters, newspaper clippings, and the likes. These offer a wealth of information and will completely change how you perceive the game. You are an artist, and in this home, at one point, you lived with your wife and daughter. During my playthrough, certain clues regarding what had happened to my wife became clear, though not enough that I was confident about what truly happened. Without having opened every single door, drawer, and cabinet, certain story elements remained completely lost to me, and so my imagination had to fill in those gaps. This is one of the things that I adore about this game. Much like a good novel, poem, or movie script, enough must be left out of the story to allow the reader to add something of themselves. I can't say for certain if you ever get all of the details in Layers of Fear, however, I can say that it wasn't until I was watching someone else's stream and saw them find a walled-up door in the kitchen covered in pine tree air fresheners that I realized that he'd hidden her body in that pantry. Likewise, I'd never found a particular newspaper clipping which spoke about how you, the lead character, had attempted to kidnap your daughter who'd been removed from your home by some form of social services. Without that clue, I spent a large part of the game thinking she had either died, perhaps in the fire, or that you'd killed her, and there are points in the story where that doesn't seem far-fetched. Still, I watched various streamers miss important clues that I had found, and it was interesting to hear them coming up with their own theories regarding the plot and being way off. Still, their imaginations were going wild, and between that and the near-constant sense of dread, the game keeps you invested like few other games I've ever played. Toss into the equation exceptional sound editing, 
an eerily beautiful score and scenes that are meant to mess with your mind and it culminates in an experience that does not need to rely solely on jump scares. Certainly there are plenty of those, however, there are also rooms that keep the hair on the back of your neck up simply because you can feel that something is off. You can't put your finger on it, but something feels wrong and that's enough to keep your heart racing. Then there are rooms like the office with the hidden ringing telephone. In every stream I watched, whenever the player looked up in this room and discovered an infinity of warped rooms above, they gasped in fear as I did. There's nothing inherently frightening about this scene, but for one evil doll that appears for a bit. However, our senses are so heightened by this point that it just scares the crap out of us. Much like the carousel ride in your daughter's room, the basement scene with the floating furniture once you touch the piano, which incidentally has the most beautiful score imaginable, or the hallway scene, which looks different whether you decide to push the wheelchair or not. The game also does a fantastic job of setting you up with chapter endings. As I mentioned last week, there are six locked cabinet doors in your artist's studio, a room which, despite the inherent evil therein, still represents safety to you as both the player and the character, which is a brilliant plot device. After every major discovery, the skin, the blood, bone, hair, etc., your next door always leads you back to your artist's studio, and you, the player, can take a breath and relax for a moment. However, after the scene at the bathtub, wherein you dive in multiple times and are presented with incredible underwater scenes, you don't return to your studio, but rather to another room, and slowly, with every checker discovered and returned to the board in the middle, more and more of the home opens up as adjoining rooms, building that sense of unease. Eventually, you do make it back to your studio, and one of three paintings will reveal itself to you. This came as a surprise to me, and I only discovered this after watching a stream about it. Depending on certain conditions and how you played, you will either get the wife ending, the wife and child ending, or the painter's ending. I feel that I lucked out and happened upon the best one, which is the wife ending. It gives you a sense of the artist's state of mind in a way that the others don't, though the wife and child comes close. Once you've quote-unquote finished the game, you can continue to roam around the house. It's in complete disarray, however, you no longer feel possessed. Once again, the sound editing in this game is absolutely brilliant because there are no subtle sounds or rumbles which set you off kilter. Instead, it's simply quiet and lonely. The credits are provided via sketch journal in a truly unique way that fits perfectly with the game, and as you wander throughout the house, yet more clues continue to present themselves, so I urge you to explore every nook and cranny. In the end, you'll come to your artist studio, and then the madness will resume once again. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. 
If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.